0: Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years, and she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative family building in the Fertility Cafe. Welcome to Fertility Cafe. I'm your host, Eloise Drain. Today's episode is all about how to choose the best fertility clinic to handle your fertility journey. We'll cover topics like how to evaluate success rates of each clinic and how much do those numbers really matter, the qualities you should look for when interviewing doctors, all the technical details you should learn about the clinic's laboratory, and more. We'll also touch on the question of cost, location, and how to recognize some red flags as you interview your potential clinic providers. I'll be sharing my best insider tips I've learned after working with intended parents and fertility clinic partners for more than two decades. So let's dive in. So how do you go about choosing a fertility clinic to help you on your journey to parenthood? Should you pick the ones that's closest to you so you don't have to figure in travel time for the many appointments you have in your future? What about the one that came highly recommended in your online mom group? Should you just start Googling best IVF clinic near me and see what comes up? While all of these are options, I wouldn't say any of these are the way to go. I'm sure I don't have to be the one to tell you, but fertility treatments aren't cheap. If you're going to make the investment, you should do so knowing that you've chosen the best clinic for you in your unique situation. You don't want to waste time and money, not to mention the emotional turmoil working with a subpar clinic only to have to start over again and somewhere else when you don't get the results you hope for. First, what does the right clinic even mean? There are, after all, over 450 fertility clinics in the U.S. alone, some of them better than others. So, how do you pick? On today's episode, I'd like to talk through some of those key factors to consider, as well as several questions that should be on your radar as you're shopping for your best fit fertility clinic. According to Fertility IQ, on average, a patient will spend forty dollars to $50,000 on fertility treatments, and it can take months, sometimes years, to achieve a successful pregnancy resulting in the live birth of a child. Considering the high emotional and financial stakes involved, there are many factors to contemplate when evaluating which fertility doctor or clinic to work with on your fertility journey. Since the end goal is obviously to have a baby, the first place I recommend looking is at a clinic's success rates. A clinic can have the best, most cutting edge equipment in the world, or they can have the most loyal online reviewers and fans. But if their embryologist is inexperienced, or their procedures aren't on par with best practices, that will show up in their success rates. When you're determining the success rate of a clinic, you're trying to determine the likelihood of achieving a pregnancy. The success rate of a fertility clinic is important to be considered, but should not be your only motivating factor when considering which clinic to work with. Still, it's a good place to start where you first begin researching clinics. There are currently two resources to go to for success rate statistics the Society for Assisted Reproductive Technology, or SART, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC. Please note, however, sometimes the information on these sites can be a bit misleading. Not to mention, the results are several years old. The data listed is provided by the fertility clinics directly, although it is subject to quality control checks and validation by governmental agencies that regulate the industry, like the CDC and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. When you're reviewing the information, ensure you are comparing apples to apples and consider the services you're needing. Remember, the success rates don't reflect the differences in patients, the type of treatment plans, or any individual health history or experiences, all of which can have an impact on a patient's outcome. I would also consider utilizing the information going back a couple of years. So begin looking at maybe three to four previous years and seeing the progression of their success rates as well. Further, clinics who are newer may not have statistics to share. That no less diminishes their quality as they could have outstanding facilities and very well-trained medical staff. I also suggest reviewing FertilityIQ.com. This website is a non-partisan site developed to provide you with information on the fertility clinics in the US. In addition to the data, they are mandated to report to the CDC. Most free fertility clinics also post their success rates on their own websites. Keep in mind that data may only include pregnancies achieved, not pregnancies that led to the live birth of a child, which is obviously the ultimate goal for all prospective parents. I suggest going to the two independent reporting agencies to verify. After all, clinics want to put their best foot forward in the public arena, so it's possible some will pick and choose the stats they openly share. If at any point you get the feeling that a clinic is being evasive or untruthful about their success rates, consider that a red flag. That being said, success rates are definitely worth considering. Let's dive into the different reports that are available and talk a bit about how to digest all the information. Just so we're all on the same page here, a quick definition. IVF involves extracting a woman's eggs, fertilizing the eggs in the laboratory to create embryos, possibly testing the embryos, and then transferring an embryo into the woman's uterus through the cervix. Whether using one's own eggs, fresh or frozen, using a donor's eggs or donor sperm, or using a surrogate, IVF is the medical procedure that is used to achieve a pregnancy in all of these circumstances. So let's talk about how to evaluate an individual clinic's success rates of IVF specifically. I mentioned this briefly a moment ago, but the first thing to keep in mind about these reports is that they both contain data that is three years old. This is because the clinics need to report live births, which typically occur nine months after the IVF cycles are complete. Additionally, SART and CDC need time to compile, review, print, and publish the data. It takes a while to validate and publish the data, so just be aware that you are looking at information from a few years ago. If anything has significantly changed at the clinic you're considering, such as new staff doctors or embryologists, equipment upgrades, management changes, and so on, be sure to take the lag in time into consideration. SART presents two types of clinical summary reports known as CSRs. The national CSR displays success rates from all reporting clinics broken down by category. The clinic-specific CSRs only include data from one clinic. Success rates are reported for all cycles which are initiated and then again for cycles completed. All right, so several times here I've mentioned the term cycles. Let's back up a second and make sure we all understand what this means and how it relates to success rates reported by clinics. Here's a quick rundown of what we in the fertility industry mean when we talk about cycles. A cycle is defined as the time when a woman starts the necessary medications to prepare for an IVF procedure or the first day of her menstrual cycle if planning to do an IVF procedure that month. Just because an IVF patient starts a cycle doesn't mean she will complete one. How a clinic reports based on cycles can sometimes skew success rates to look a bit more positive than reality would suggest. If a patient presents with a problem that makes success less likely, the cycle may be canceled. Since egg retrieval was never started, it wouldn't be counted as a, quote, failed cycle. As a result, the clinic would show higher success rates overall. It's important for patients to review cancellation rates in addition to the pregnancy and live birth rates. And be sure to look at your particular age group. The rates of cancellation for patients over 40 will vary from those who are in their 30s. The thing is, Clinics really want that high success rate. So if you show up on the day of the embryo transfer and your hormones are out of whack or the embryo didn't thaw properly or for any number of reasons, the clinic may consider canceling that cycle rather than proceed with the transfer and risk a failed transfer. Would you have been okay to proceed with the transfer? It's of course impossible to say, but every canceled cycle does mean you have to decide if you are willing and able, both financially and emotionally, to start another cycle again. Bottom line, it's wonderful if a clinic boasts an impressive success rate, but do a little digging to find out how that plays out for people your age in your unique situation, undergoing the exact same kind of treatment you'll be having, and definitely check on the rate of canceled cycles to get an idea of what you could possibly expect. The next thing to be aware of about these reports The success rates are broken down into two main categories based on the origin of the eggs and or embryos being transferred. Is pregnancy being attempted with the patient's own eggs or with a donor's egg or sperm? It's not useful to compare rates across categories. So if you plan to use your own eggs, it's not really helpful to look at the success rates of IVF cycles using donor eggs. Be sure you're not comparing apples to oranges. Data is important to look at, but it's not the end-all be-all. Let's move on to other factors you should consider, keeping in mind that some of these will come down to your personal preference. For instance, have you thought about the type of clinic you'd like to work with? Types of IVF clinics can generally be broken down like this. There are solo practitioners, small practices, large practices, fertility networks, University affiliated clinics and hospital affiliated clinics. Each has its own pros and cons. First, there are solo practitioners who go it alone, providing a more personalized experience. However, there may be limits to the doctor's availability and access to resources. Small practices, defined as having fewer than eight doctors, could offer the same benefit of personalization with a bit more flexibility in scheduling. On the other hand, large practices with more than eight doctors likely have access to more equipment and resources. The flip side, you'll have less access to your particular doctor and you'll probably have more interaction with the nurses and clinic staff than the physicians. There are also fertility networks which are made up of several clinics all under one umbrella organization. These facilities typically have a broader range of services, being able to employ people who specialize in all sorts of assisted reproductive technology, and they generally have more up-to-date equipment. Of course, that's not a given, so be sure to ask the particular fertility network for specifics. University-based and hospital-based clinics are two more options. Both of these tend to be on the forefront of technology and often are more affordable than private practice clinics. However, be aware that these programs can cause you to get caught up in bureaucracy. So if time is of the essence, these types of clinics may not be for you. University clinics are often heavily involved in research, which could be a good or bad thing. On the other hand, they are on top of the most up-to-date research and techniques. On the other hand, you may find yourself consulting with residents and medical students, while they, of course, supervised by an experienced attending physician, the teaching aspect could slow things down or cause certain things to get lost in translation. One quick note, hospital-based programs are an excellent choice for patients who have a potentially complicating health condition. For example, A person who has a heart issue may prefer to have her egg retrieval done at a hospital operating room rather than in an outpatient setting. The additional monitoring and resources can be very beneficial for people who require closer medical attention. Besides the clinic's overall characteristics and reputation, it's important to know as much as you can about the medical professionals who will be handling your care. Let's meet the team of people who make the IVF magic happen. First and foremost, there's your reproductive endocrinologist. This is the doctor you will work most closely with during the embryo creation stage. He or she will work with you to develop a plan to have a successful surrogate pregnancy. Your clinic may have more than one RE on staff. If that's the case, find out what the protocol is if your particular doctor is unavailable. Are there any upcoming vacations when he or she will be out of the office? What happens if there is an unexpected emergency that the doctor must attend to? Will you need to reschedule or will you be transferred to another doctor in the clinic for the time being? You may or may not choose to work with a board certified reproductive endocrinologist. Board certification in this field is seen as the global standard in terms of knowledge and experience. To achieve designation, a doctor must complete years of rigorous training. So what does this extra training actually entail? Well, Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility, REI, is a subspecialty of obstetrics and gynecology. So after years of practicing as an OBGYN and after attaining board certification in obstetrics and gynecology, he or she continues training with an additional three-year fellowship in REI. Once the three-year fellowship is complete, the doctor will take a written exam specific to REI and an oral exam administered by a team of the best and brightest REI experts in the nation. It's only after passing these rigorous milestones that a physician becomes board certified in the subspecialty of reproductive endocrinology and infertility. In order to maintain board certification, The physician must demonstrate continued knowledge in the field by taking a written exam every six years. As you can see, if you want a doctor who has achieved the highest level of education and training in the field, look for someone who is board certified in REI. One important caveat to take into consideration, however, many older physicians were among the trailblazers of their generation and aren't board certified. Not because they didn't want to, but because it wasn't an option. You'll want to take into account experience, reputation, and success rates of the doctors you will work with. I wouldn't say you should count someone out simply because they aren't board certified. Just something to be aware of. Perhaps even more important than board certification status is the clinician's particular experience and specialization in certain areas of infertility. There are many different reasons why a couple cannot physically have a child. So it's helpful to find a doctor who has experience dealing with the particular reason that you need help to conceive. Are you a cancer survivor? Do you suffer from endometriosis? Are you a gay couple working with a gestational carrier? Are you a single woman wishing to use your own frozen eggs? Seek out a doctor who has experience with people in your situation a seasoned doctor can draw on past experience to develop the most effective path forward for you. Working with someone who specializes or at least has significant experience with your particular situation can help to improve your chances of a pregnancy. Next up, the embryologist. This is the person who really makes the magic happen. This person is responsible for managing and monitoring the genetic material and he or she does the actual work of combining egg and sperm in the lab to create the embryos. The embryologist does the life creating work behind the scenes. And while you may or may not get to meet, it's clear that this person plays an absolutely pivotal role in your journey. You should feel empowered when selecting a fertility clinic to ask about the qualifications of the embryologist employed by your clinic. At a minimum, embryologists need a bachelor's degree in biology or biomedicine. It's quite common for them to have a master's degree in reproductive science or clinical science. Some embryologists earn a PhD or MD as well. Additionally, embryologists can seek certification from the American Board of Bioanalysis. Feel free to ask about the level of experience the clinic's embryologist has, how many years of experience, the number of embryologists on staff, and the type of ongoing education they complete. The fertility clinic isn't only made up of the physician and embryologist, there is also the clinic staff. I'd argue that the nursing and administrative staff are crucial to your overall experience. Throughout your IVF journey, your main point of contact will likely be the nurses at your selected clinic. Your clinic will be staffed with nurses who specialize in reproductive medicine. These star players will help with nearly every aspect of patient care in the clinic. Daily activities may include patient interviews, explaining treatment options, follow-up appointments, answering questions and providing support, teaching medication administration, performing ultrasound scans and blood tests. They may also assist with procedures like intrauterine insemination, or IUI, and embryo transfers. Here's a pro tip for you. Goes without saying, but always be polite and gracious when dealing with any professional, but especially with your clinic nursing staff. They are an exceptionally important part of the process. Advocate for yourself, but try not to do anything that would have you fall out of their good graces. Being careful and courteous with your nurses pays in dividends. Believe it or not, it's even important to consider staff turnover in a clinic. Sometimes high staff turnover can be a red flag for many reasons. It can mean faulty management from a practice perspective, which can contribute to mistakes that can affect your overall experience and the success of your journey. Continuity of care is important. If you are speaking with a new nurse each visit, things will fall through the cracks. Consistent, loyal staff are always your best bet in a clinic. Be prepared to ask questions about procedures. Make sure that the clinic you select has a wide repertoire of infertility procedures and remedies and that they are comfortable and familiar with the latest technology. You want to know about the procedures that each doctor uses and the success rates each doctor has. Inquire about egg freezing, in vitro fertilization or IVF, genetic testing like PGS or PGD, hormone treatments, and other procedures. Some doctors and clinics are a bit more aggressive than others in their methodologies, which is why you should ask questions. This aggressiveness often walks hand in hand with the amount of time and money you may spend trying to conceive. Be wary of any doctor who makes promises or guarantees or who is overly aggressive in relation to the pace you're comfortable with. IVF is never certain, no matter how qualified a doctor is or how great a clinic success rate seems. Over-the-top guarantees or pushy salesman like tactics are certainly red flags to pay attention to. The question of how aggressive to get with your treatment is a delicate one and it's one you and your doctor will want to be in alignment with. Of course, you want to have a baby and ideally you'd like it for it to happen without paying for multiple cycles. However, if your doctor is overly aggressive, that can be to the detriment of your health and that of your potential developing fetus or fetuses. Also, find out if the clinic offers genetic testing on embryos. There are two types to look for. That I mentioned briefly a moment ago. The first is pre implantation genetic screening, or PGS. This test looks for chromosomal abnormalities. It's a basic screening that checks to make sure the embryo has all 23 chromosomes present. It doesn't look for any specific disease markers. Pre implantation genetic diagnosis, or PGD, is another type of genetic testing. It's much more comprehensive than PGS. It screens for nearly 400 genetic conditions, including things like muscular dystrophy, cystic fibrosis, Tay-Sachs, and sickle cell anemia. If this is something you are interested in having done, be sure to ask about availability, costs, experience of the person conducting the tests, and potential risks. Okay, moving on. What about the lab? Yes, you need to get familiar with some of the technical jargon here. It will pay off, I promise. The quality of a clinic's laboratory is vital and can have a significant impact on the success of your journey, yet it's often overlooked as people are vetting potential clinics. An excellent laboratory is essential for your success, but it can also be incredibly hard to find. So what should you look for in a lab? First, inquire about how the embryos are handled, incubated, and stored. This will have a significant impact on how well they develop. There should be strict protocols in place, and everything should be closely monitored and regularly inspected to ensure protocols and best practices are always being followed. Here are a few specific questions to ask. First, how is the development of embryos monitored? Does the lab continually review the latest advances in embryology, then update their operations accordingly? When was the last time this happened? What are the lab's standards for quality assurance? Can they give an example of this? And finally, how do they ensure that the integrity of each patient's specimens are preserved? Next, ask about the lab's equipment. Yep, right down to the type of incubator and air filtration system. This is your future, your emotional well-being and your financial investment we're talking about here. Don't go into this blind. It's okay to be the person with a million questions. All right, so what about that equipment? An IVF lab is only as good as its equipment, and the science of embryology requires highly sophisticated tools, including powerful microscopes, state-of-the-art embryo incubators, and IVF micro tools. For an embryo to grow and develop successfully, it needs a complex, controlled environment at every stage. I suggest asking additional questions. First, what kind of incubators and handling apparatuses are used? Studies show that low-oxygen incubators are best. Embryos seem to thrive in conditions with 5% oxygen, yet as many as a third of all labs store embryos at a much higher rate of oxygen, based on an outdated scientific understanding. Next, have these tools been tested to measure its impact on developing embryos? Does the lab offer new technological advances such as time-lapse photography incubators? And finally, does the lab have capabilities to incubate embryos up to the blastocyst stage? I don't want you to stop there. Next up, air quality. The lab's air quality has a tremendous effect on embryos' health and viability. Air contaminants and impurities such as volatile organic compounds VOCs, microbes, and even perfumes can all be harmful to developing embryos. Charcoal and HEPA filters are ideal for IVF labs. As for air cycle, the units used in the lab should generate enough pressure so air is replaced at a minimum of 20 times per hour. Some questions to ask, what kind of heating, ventilating, and AC units are used in the lab? What kind of air filters are used and how frequently is the air recycled? At this point, if you're getting any kind of pushback, side-eye, or cagey responses from the clinic staff, consider that a red flag. If a staff person doesn't know the answer to a question, the appropriate response should be that they offer to find out for you. If at any point you feel like they're being less than 100% upfront with you or annoyed by your detailed questions, I give you full permission to walk away. Any reputable clinic should be well aware that everything I've mentioned so far can play an important role in a clinic's success. Granted, we did our research to look up this information as well. Perhaps this information from what we have found may be outdated, but it's still important questions to ask. The last lab-specific thing I want you to ask about is light and temperature conditions. Embryos are extremely susceptible to light and temperature changes during development. How the laboratory handles these factors to control the embryo's environment is a critical component. Find out answers to these questions. What measures does the lab take to control the embryo's environment at each point of handling and incubation? What does the lab use as a reliable backup in case of a power outage? Finally, Does the lab use big box or desktop incubators? Big box incubators are kind of like they sound. They're large storage devices that have multiple specimens in them. Anytime someone else's embryos needs to be checked or removed, the door opens, exposing all the embryos to the temperature and light change. Desktop incubators, on the other hand, store embryos in their own individual chambers, so there's no exposure if any other sample is accessed. I will say that big box incubators are pretty common, but be sure to ask about it and find out what they do to mitigate any unnecessary exposure to the other embryos being stored. One late note, find out what happens if you decide to break up with your clinic. Will they allow you to take your embryos with you to a new facility? Or, if you already have embryos created by another clinic, will the new clinic you're interviewing allow you to use them? While it may feel intimidating to ask questions about your fertility clinic's lab, especially since the science and technology behind IVF are beyond your scope of expertise, don't let that deter you from getting the information you need. Knowledge is power. Now that you know what to look for and how to evaluate a fertility lab, you can make confident choices, which only brings you closer to achieving your IVF success. Another aspect we have to talk about is cost. Unfortunately for many, fertility treatment is an expense that you'll have to pay for out of pocket. It's important to note the majority of clinics have different rates, payment plans, And financial assistance programs. Definitely ask about all of the clinic's rates up front, being sure to get an itemized list of possible expenses, including any initial consultation fee, medications, additional testing, ultrasounds, embryo storage fees, and so on. What about insurance? Is there any hope that your health insurance can help you with the cost? Maybe. As of this recording, there are 19 states that have passed laws that require insurers to either cover, or offer coverage for infertility diagnosis and treatment. These states are Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Montana, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Rhode Island, Texas, Utah, and West Virginia. If you live in one of these states and have insurance coverage, contact your insurance provider and ask what they will cover and the total amount they will cover. If you're not in one of these states, you should still begin with investigating if your insurance policy will cover any fertility care. In either situation, you need to know if you're required to be seen by a fertility clinic in their network. That will determine what your next course of action would be. If you don't have any insurance coverage, don't lose hope. Several clinics across the country offer special programs designed to minimize the financial risk of having an unsuccessful outcome. Shared risk programs typically offer a full or partial refund in the event that a viable embryo is not created. Usually, you will have to pay a flat fee up front that covers three to six cycles. Not everyone can qualify for the programs, however, and you won't be getting all of your money back. Still, these programs can be a good option for many intended parents. As you are narrowing down your list of potential clinics, it's worth finding out the details of any shared risk programs like this that they may offer. Just be sure to read all of the fine print and be wary if clinic staff seem evasive or vague about the terms of the program. There are also options for fertility loans, grants, and scholarship programs. Ask your potential clinic if they have any connections to programs like these, or if they have any experience working with recipients of such assistance. If you need the assistance of an egg or sperm donor, you'll want to see if your clinic has a program in-house. You'll want to determine if the clinic has its own egg bank, whether fresh or frozen, and if not, do they have partners they work with that can assist with your needs? Working with an in-house program or with a referral partner to your clinic can often save you money. The last factor I want to touch on is location. Yes, I said right from the top that location shouldn't necessarily be a determining factor. But unless you have some sort of teleportation machine or access to a private jet, location needs to be considered. You'll be in and out of the IVF clinic several times for monitoring, egg retrieval, embryo transfer, and possibly tests and procedures. If you live on the East Coast and have your heart set on a clinic in California, you will have to figure in travel costs as well as possible lost time from work due to travel. For some, it can be worth it, but be sure to really crunch the numbers before setting on a clinic far from home. When you visit or have an initial call with a potential clinic, it's a good idea to be armed with subtle questions beforehand. Write them down so that you don't forget anything. You'll likely be overwhelmed and will appreciate having a piece of paper to remind you of all your questions. Take notes and don't forget to always listen to your gut. Here are a few additional things to pay attention to during your initial interaction with your potential clinic. Does the office staff seem attentive? Is it a welcoming environment? Does the care provider listen to your questions and hear your concerns or do you feel rushed or talked down to? Are their policies clearly outlined and are they transparent about their fees in terms of treatment plans? What does their communication typically look like? Who will be contacting you with test results or other updates? Is there an online patient portal where you can easily access your information? What happens if there's an emergency outside of office hours? Is there a doctor on call from the clinic? At the end of the day, no matter which route you take or which clinic you choose, the goal is to end up with a pregnancy and ultimately a live birth, making you a proud parent via IVF. Arming yourself with the most complete knowledge is the best way to make that happen. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode all about choosing your perfect fit IVF clinic. We've included additional resources, including links to the CDC and SART IVF success rate tools in our show notes. You can follow Fertility Cafe on its new Instagram and Facebook page under Family Inceptions. If you haven't yet, go to your listening platform of choice and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We'd also love you to share Fertility Cafe with friends and family members who would benefit from the information shared. Join us next week for another conversation on modern family building. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, remember, love has no limits. Neither should parenthood. Thank you for joining us in the Fertility Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com, for resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.